We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Okay, before we jump in, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Sven Lawrence, and he is unbelievably smart. I got connected with him probably about a year ago, and we've started talking a lot, like on a really regular basis. I really like the way that his mind works. His investment strategy is really based on finding undervalued stocks around the world, not just domestic. Now, he's scooping up different companies across the globe at amazing prices, and his returns are phenomenal. You guys can actually follow along with a lot of his knowledge and information on his weekly dispatch. You guys can check it out at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash undervalued. We're actually going to be doing a lot more work together, and I'm really excited about this partnership here. So, guys, get to know him, get to know his work. If you guys are interested in stocks, in investing, in equities, in companies, then this is the guy that you want to follow. You can go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash undervalued to sign up for his free newsletter. He has a paid newsletter as well as a lifetime subscription. They are also worth checking out. I am actually a lifetime member myself. I love his special reports. They are fantastic. He has a little bit of humor in them. He is really intelligent, goes into a deep analysis, but doesn't make it dry or unfun to read. So, fully endorse this. I really am excited about it, and I hope you guys get a chance to take a look. Go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash undervalued, all one word, undervalued. Okay, let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today we have an amazing episode for you. We went back through all of 2021 and we looked for the best tips, tricks, strategies, mindset, insights about digital nomad lifestyle. So this episode is called Digital Nomad Mindset Tips and Challenges. It is not all a pretty picture. We're going to get into the nitty gritty on this one. I think you guys are going to absolutely love it. We put a ton of effort into this one. So buckle up, new episode. Here we go. Let's do it. Okay, first, we are going to be discussing with Chase Warrington from episode 157, how Chase and I both happen to find the spark for travel from a very early age. Let's listen in. From the beginning, like, what was it that made you want to live overseas or travel? Like, what was that spark? Where did that come from? I think a lot like you, Mikel, I, I had this in me at an early age. I, I kind of like to laugh and think about it. I was born to a pilot and a flight attendant. And by the time I was three, I believe I traveled to have been on 30 something different planes and traveled a decent amount. Of course, I don't remember any of that, but I, it makes me think it was perhaps in my DNA. But funny enough, we didn't really travel a lot growing up. I, I, we, we stayed continental US. I never even left the US until I was 18 years old. But as a teenager, I just had this like, thirst to go see other cultures. And I would hang out. My school was very multicultural. We had a lot of people from a lot of different 
backgrounds. And I would play hacky sack with the Colombian kids and try to go learn how to, how to play soccer with the guys from other countries. And so it just kind of like was always something in me, but I didn't have the opportunity to go. And then as soon as I was 18, I, I hit the road and went down to New Zealand and Australia and got a taste of a, a foreign accent and new food. And, and all of a sudden I was like, I'm, I'm hooked. And so from there, it went on to, you know, study abroads and seeking out internships abroad and studying international business. And it just kind of was like one step after another, going deeper and deeper into needing to be surrounded by people from other backgrounds. I wanted to see people that look different and smell things that smelled different and taste things that tasted different. It just, it, it, it never got old for me. And actually the, the thirst just couldn't be quenched, I guess. Well, isn't that amazing that you can look back now and kind of connect the pieces, connect the dots of how this all happened? Because people ask me similar questions and I'm like, oh, I had no idea at the time what I was doing or how I was doing it. Now, looking back, it's like, okay, everything makes sense. But, you know, when you're going through it, it doesn't really make any sense whatsoever. Now, so Here's my question. Do you think that for someone who wants to go out there and travel and be an expat or digital nomads or work remote, do you think they have to have a background like you? You know, do you think they have to have a parent who traveled extensively or was a pilot or something like that? Or do you think really like anyone can kind of do this stuff? Yeah, I think people find their their passions in different ways throughout life, right? And we look, we're like, we're changing, we're constantly evolving. And I've met people, I've met expats here in Spain that, had zero desire to travel, never left their home country until they were in their 40s, for instance. And they're and now they're just enjoying this stage of life in, in a foreign place. So I absolutely think it can be learned. And 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 I'm still like I'm still learning. And I look, there's this like spectrum of people that have had these different experiences throughout life. And I look at people like yourself. i I, I listen to your show and I've heard some of your experiences, and I'm like, wow, I want to do all those things one day. And then I have people talking to me who say, Oh man it's so cool. You live in Spain. I would love to go do that one day. And so it's, it's, there's always like some new adventure to, to go and learn and, and dive into and it never, it just doesn't get old. Well, and you know, you and I both started this at a very young age and we're able to connect the dots, but you know what? I bet you someone who started traveling at say they're 40 years old, as you mentioned, they start traveling today in a couple of years. I bet you they'll be able to look back and connect the dots of how they got there, the things in their life that led them to that situation and all they've been able to accomplish there. So that's kind of an interesting point that it doesn't really matter how old you are when you start. It'll all kind of make sense in the end. I I think that's true. And also something I really think that's interesting for me, and I know a lot of people who almost fell into this trap as well, is I, I got diverted off that trail for a little while. So although I was very passionate about traveling, I sort of thought that it was a young person's game. I and mean, when I was in university, I thought for sure, this is like something I have to kind of get out of my system because in the future, it's not going to really be an option for me. I have to go into my career and I have to get started and I have to have kids and I have to, you know, and all those things mean like going back home in, in your mind. And and, and I started to venture down that path and was uncomfortable with it. And I know so many people who never then kind of divert back off that path. They just keep going, even if they didn't want to. And so I'm, I'm happy that I did. But I kind of, when I think about like my journey to this point, I kind of started from there. Like, uh, like almost like the, the other stuff was youth. And then in my late 20s, I said, hold on, I've got to, I'm going down the wrong path. I'm, I, I'm missing that part of me that's so important. And I've got to get back to that. And so that point for me kind of starts from there, which is which is sort of interesting to reflect on. 
Next, Juliana Rabi from episode 142 describes the mindset factor of what you could do if you knew you could not fail. Wow. So it always started with one question that I kept hearing. You know, you know those seminars and books and all of that, all the things I was into, the same question was coming to me several times. I was like, what is that? Why I see this question popping up everywhere? And it was like, what would you do if you know you could not fail? What would you do if you know you could not fail? And the funny thing is that the answer for me was fast. I knew the answer was travel more. So I knew it. So new seminar, new event, in-person event at that time, right? Many years ago, what would you do if you know you could not fail? I would travel more. And I was so proud to reply that. And then at some point I was like, I'm not doing that. Why am I just talking about it? And I'm not doing the thing I know that I want to do. So I was like, I start finding myself extremely boring. I was like, whoa, I hate to be the person who talks about something and does a totally opposite thing. So it was an internal, you know, schizophrenic feeling like I'm, I'm talking about something, but I'm doing a completely opposite thing. So I start finding myself extremely boring and the kind of person that nobody wanted to be with. I didn't want to be with myself. I was like, I hate the life I have because I know what I want to do and I'm not doing that. So that's, when I acknowledged that and I took ownership, like, okay, I want to stop talking about it and I start, I want to start leaving this reality. So that it was the time when I said, okay, so I just don't know how to do it. <laughs> I need to find a way. I have no idea how to, because at that time I had a nine to five stable, supposed to be stable job. I was living in Barcelona. I had a good life and it was the kind of life that my friends would say, oh my goodness, Julian, you're so lucky you know you live in barcelona you travel a lot you work in a great company you live in a nice apartment it was like yeah so do you want my life to you because i'm not happy with that so just take it to yourself so inside i was not happy and i was like okay that's it it's time to take action next up is carrie de phillips from episode 132 carrie describes how she runs her business remotely and tips like using airport lounges to your advantage listen in Yeah, so I have two companies that are my primary uh, revenue streams. Number one is the Content Factory, which is, uh, you know, the digital marketing agency. Like I said, I built that remote. So it's, we've got Slack, we've got Asana, we've got Toggle and Workflows for Days, right? Uh, Been at this for a decade. So we've got the process pretty well hammered out that that really lends itself to bringing on remote workers. They just follow the steps. We've got videos recorded and ready to go in there. But like I I was still working at least 40 hours a week, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less, sometimes much more. Uh, (laughs) But when you are intentional about how you spend your time, you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. I would always book flights on like a Friday or a Thursday, like Thursday night. I would really try and like planet to where the flight time didn't really impact things, or if it did, that I would have Wi-Fi in the plane if possible. Sometimes that's not always possible and you can't control it, but what you can control is lounge access. So like making sure that I've got, I think it's called LastPass or LoungePass. No, it's not LastPass. LoungePass or something. LastPass is something else, but also very good for entrepreneurs. Yeah, I use that one too. (laughs) I I use the whole suite. Uh, but that'll get you access into basically uh, an airport lounge at almost every airport I've ever been to. And then through like American Express, you can have additional benefits like 
certain credit cards come with travel perks that you can take advantage of to make the airport experience a lot more pleasurable? Yeah, I have. I am a massive fan of airport lounges. And if for some reason my ticket doesn't have it or my credit card doesn't have it, I will go out of pocket and pay for lounge access. It is always worthwhile. And I mean, I spend a lot of time in airplanes. I've circum we, we calculated once, I've circumnavigated the planet more than 400 times. I spent a lot of time on airplanes. And I usually have like platinum level with the airlines and but trying to make the experience as comfortable as possible, I mean, is always the best. I never understood people who are trying to like squish into one uncomfortable little metal chair and wait three hours for their flight instead of paying and then go to like a Starbucks or something like that to get something to eat and a coffee. And I'm like, you can get lounge access for 25 bucks or 30 bucks. They have an open bar and they have food there and you can have a coffee and you get these big comfy leather chairs and Wi-Fi that's 10 times as fast. I'm like, I was like totally worth the money. Just spend it, even if it's for an hour or two hours. I think so many people don't even know that airport lounges exist. I got to tell you, I was one of those people. I didn't even get a passport until I was 30. Well, really? Yeah. No, I traveled a lot in the U.S. and I just had never done it. And then I got divorced and I was like, well, there's no time like today. <laughs> and then that kind of um, kicked off my love for international travel. And then the first time somebody took me to an airport lounge, I was like, I thought that the upper floor was mostly airport offices or something. I hear they have a hospital in here. <laughs> <laughs> no, airport but, lounges uh, is where it's at. Or just just buy business class tickets. I mean, people all the time think like, oh, it's it's so much more expensive. No, it's not. Really, when you factor in everything, it's a great deal in most cases, especially for the longer flights or any type of night flight where you need to do something the following day. Fly business class. You get a proper night's sleep on any of the any of the wide-bodied aircraft. They should be flat beds. So now you can lay completely flat, get six hours, seven hours of sleep, and the next morning, if you have meetings or you have to work, you're actually going to be able to function. If I'm sat in economy and I'm squished up and I have to try to sleep while sitting up, I mean, I'm going to be out of commission for three days after that. My time is really valuable. I mean, I charge a lot of money for my time. So if I can't do meetings or I can't be taking care of clients during that, I'm losing way more than spending the extra few hundred dollars or even an extra thousand dollars on my flight. And then like you were saying, add in the lounge access and then add in, you know, shortcut of lines and all of these types of things. It's like, no, just do it. It's, it's well worth it. No, it's kind of like bringing a four-star hotel experience to like a traditionally crappy airport environment i feel like when you just upgrade and then it it does make a huge difference on your productivity and just like feelings throughout the next several days and a, a bad flight will like ruin your week it's true Le like legit i mean i've had some horrendous flights where i not only could i not sleep but you get some type of kink i'm even rubbing my neck right now remembering get some type of kink in my neck or something like that and then you can't move properly for the next couple of days and it's like too much frustrating. Less than ideal. Yeah. That was awesome. Okay, next we have Nimrod Dean Kuchel from episode 138. And in this clip, Dean and I discuss the value of paying for advice to save time, hassle, and ultimately 
money. I tried to do something for free to learn it, to save maybe a thousand or two thousand dollars on consultation. And over a single phone call with a lawyer, he answered all my questions. I, I lost so much time and money trying to get the answers for free. So when you buy services and advice, you're just buying a shortcut. You, you're cheating the system. You're buying knowledge. And it's, I, I cannot say any more to, to, to this. You know, just do it. I agree with you 100%. I mean, 10 years ago when I started as an entrepreneur, I mean, I would try to get everything for free. I'd be looking online, blogs and things like that. I mean, we had YouTube for sure, but it wasn't as prevalent as it is today. And I mean, I would have a problem or a sticking point in my business and I'd spent two months trying to figure something out. And then when I started working with coaches and consultants, that two months turned into two minutes. It's like you ask a question, you get the answer, you put it in, and now you don't have the question anymore. You don't have the problem anymore and you move forward. I think that a lot of people, they have an adversity to spending money because they think, oh, well, I can get the information online for free. I mean, that doesn't mean that you should. It doesn't mean that it's a good use of your time. I think that people should always be focusing on the thing which is going to bring them to a revenue event. And then let's try to get rid of everything else in the background as fast as possible. Work through those problems and then concentrate on those things that you do really, really well. And that's your business. Yeah, trying to do everything yourself. I mean, that's a surefire way to stay small. Yes. People who ask for my advice and if I help for free on, on social media, on my Facebook community, they'll ask for a question. They'll get the answers. They won't do anything. They won't take action. Correct. And if they pay me or if they pay anyone else, it's that 10 times more likely to really take action and uh, succeed in what, what they choose to do. That, that I yeah, think absolutely. You pay, you pay attention for sure. It's so true. So you, I would actually take it a step further by giving out free advice. Like, okay, I'm, I'm not talking about putting out a podcast or a YouTube vi video, which is going to help tens of thousands of people. But think about like one-on-one. -on -one. Someone sends you an email or someone sends you a Facebook message in your group. They have a very specific question. I think that you're actually doing them a disservice by giving them the information for free because they won't value the information and they are very unlikely to actually take action. If they open their wallet, and even if they spend $1, $1, I bet you that the percentage of actually following through and doing it goes up dramatically, drastically. I, I have the stats to, to prove it and show it, so yeah. <laughs> In this next clip, I have Juliana Robbie from episode 142. She is a Brazilian expat and digital nomad. And in this clip, Juliana gives some tips on setting boundaries and creating a conducive work environment as a digital nomad. Listen in. What we face, other people are facing also like this boundaries between working hours and non-working hours. Also, the time zone doesn't help because maybe for the person was still Friday afternoon and then for you was Saturday morning. So you never know when the person actually wrote. Uh, some people are happy replying, working emails on weekends. I'm trying not to do that. I do it like very few times, but people expect, like I sent you an email two hours ago and you should have replied already. You're late for that. And actually it's like weekend, I shouldn't be working. So yeah, things are changing. Clients are more demand. I mean, in this case, it's not even a client, right? It's someone wanting to know more about your yeah, perspective exactly. client. Yeah. So people are demanding. And I think it's important for the professional, whoever is providing the service, set the limits since the beginning. Because if you write me on Saturday morning, I reply you two hours later, then you reply back and I keep replying. It's like, 
I'm working on Saturday. And if this is not part of my plan, I shouldn't be doing that. So I actually had this, this conversation on LinkedIn with some people. Like, do you reply on weekend to potential clients or not? And what I got about it is that, or I don't reply and I reply Monday morning, first thing in the morning, or I reply and say, thanks for your message. I'm going to reply you back on Monday because at least I acknowledge that the person the person knows that I checked the mess, but it's still it's my time and my energy that I'm putting there. So I'm trying to not do it on the weekend. And when I agree on some service or something, I um, make very clear about the deadline. So this is this is going to be ready in three weeks. We're going to work together for three months because then I think the clarity at the very beginning helps us to go back and say, remember we spoke about three weeks. It's the first week, so we are doing fine. So. I think it's like create a methodology that you know the time that you need to. I'm going to reply you by the end of the week. So if I reply by Wednesday, the client is happier, but I'm still, you know, within the time I gave that. But definitely people are more demanding. And I think it won't change because everybody has their phone on their hands all the time. We are connected 24 hours. So I not even blame people who does that because I know I, I do that sometimes also. You know, I send emails on Saturday. Sometimes it's because I just don't want to forget about it. And then it's easier for me to send it. And then, okay, no, the person is going to answer on Monday. But sometimes I kind of expect the person to answer. So I don't blame who does that. I think it's the whole shift in the society that, yeah, we all do the same thing. Carrying on, we have Carrie DePhillips from episode 132. Carrie and I are going to give some advice on offloading certain tasks to free up more time for yourself to be more efficient, because really, that's what it's all about. There are, again, all kinds of ways that people can break into it and hiring people to handle some of these, I don't want to call them menial tasks, but remove some things off of your plate. If Is that an option? Because Upwork is an option to help you through that. I think I see, well, not I think, I know I see a lot of entrepreneurs when they're starting out just trying to do everything themselves because they don't think that they can afford to hire help. When in actuality, if you hire the right help and at the right price, that frees up so much more of your time to make even more. Uh, if you're looking at becoming a digital nomad and you're worried about your virtual workload, there's a, an easy button for that. And it's a VA who can help you do all kinds of things. You just need to tell them. Absolutely. You can scale very fast this way. And in a case like COVID, I mean, you can descale. I don't know. <laughs> you can let people... Uh, you don't have to keep renewing the contracts, so you don't have massive overheads, so you are not going to go under. Your business is not going to go under. And the same thing what we were talking about before by not having an office. I, I mean, I think about all the people who were spending you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a professional office and then ended up having to work from home for the last year anyways. I mean, I run my office out of my house. Yes, I have a dedicated space, quite a large space for my office. But I mean, nothing changed for me during COVID in this regard. I mean, I was able to keep going to work every day. I was still wearing shorts and flip-flops. That was all exactly the same. And there was no massive overhead that was going to sink my business. In this next clip, Nimrod Dean Kuchel and I discuss the value of taking time off from your business, resulting in greater insights and productivity, which will actually take you to the next level. 
This is something really important to understand, so I hope you guys pay attention. And I'm going to add one other thing to what you just said. So I was working like crazy over the last couple of years. I had partnered with an organization, and I was going full tilt building this business that I was working 14 hours, 16 hours a day, six and a half days a week. Then I took some time off to go to Costa Rica with my family. I had left this job, I had finished the contract, and I took two, three weeks, and I did almost no work. I, I barely even opened my computer for three weeks. I had more insights about my business in three weeks from taking a break than I did for two years of staring in front of the computer and working around the clock. So taking a break and allowing yourself the ability to reflect on your life and your skills and your business and what you want to do can often be so, so, so beneficial. And it wasn't until I started traveling again that I gave myself that time and that opportunity to have that pause and that reset and, and think and, and brainstorm and be creative again. And now it's like, oh, I have a thousand and one ideas on how I can help people in my business and how I can serve others and inspire people in this space, which I'm super, super passionate about. So yeah, give yourself a break. Don't expect that you're going to know the answer like the very first minute. It takes time sometimes to think it all through. Yeah, taking away uh, time away from, from your job or what you do, or your daily routine. And everything I know, everything I achieved, I'm so proud to say that I didn't invent anything, that I'm not a pet finder, that I'm not a unique uh, uh, star or something. I am the result of all the people I met uh, around the world. You, know, you sit in a co-working space. At the beginning, I was just I, I was doing my project management job. And then you hear someone, oh, I started a community and it's great and you should do it. You know, yeah, I started a community and now it's the fourth largest community in the world for digital nomads. Like I didn't even know or expect it to become this. And someone asked me, hey, do you want to give talks? Like, yes, I'll give talks. Yeah, let's do it. Let's try. I said, yes. What, what, what's the worst? Worst case, I won't give talks anymore. And I've been giving talks all over the world for five, six years now. So I opened my, my mind and ears and eyes to other ideas and I soak it in and I tried. I'm not afraid to try. And it's worked. Many things failed. Many things I, I, I didn't like to do and I'm not doing anymore. But it, um, I'm really the result of all the people around me. And I think this is the great thing about uh, your show, about the community you're building, about other communities out there. Uh, people are out to, to help each other. And again, you don't need to be unique. Don't let uh, the competition to put you down. I, I can't stand it with people when people tell me, oh, I cannot open another e-com shop because it's so saturated. What are you talking about? E-commerce is just the beginning. It's like the, 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 the <laughs> it's baby steps. 90% of the world still doesn't shop online, right? Like um, we haven't started yet. So even if you, uh, people will say, yeah, I'm an accountant and I'm going to do it online, but I, I saw that I'm already accountant doing it. Yeah, because it works. That's why they do it. So you should do it too. Okay, we're just going to take a quick break for a second. 
So recently, my friend Ollie Richards has released a new set of uncovered courses for learning a second language. These are the exact courses that me and my family used to go from really crummy Spanish to fluent in less than two years. So I am a big believer in his work. Not only that, but we've really become friends over the last couple of years. So I'm really happy to be able to support his program. So if you guys want to learn a second language, if you want to be a digital nomad, if you want to travel the world, then these are the programs for you. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash languages. He has some special promos there, some special deals, new courses coming out, lots of exciting things. I hope that you guys take a second to go and look for it. Learning the local language really shows respect for the people, for the culture, instead of just forcing everyone to learn English. Listen, trust me, I know I have been traveling for over 20 years. It's not always easy to learn another language. Even a few words, though, can really make a big difference. And if you want to be an expat and live in another country, like in Latin America where I am, then learning Spanish is pretty much mandatory. So go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language and check out the work that he does. Okay, let's jump back into the interview. Okay, we have Chase Warrington again. Chase and I speak about the technology people can use to help with building a remote work team. Chase has a ton of experience in this and is actually the head of remote. So this is some really important stuff. Pay attention here. Is there any technology out there that people should be taking advantage of or technology that you think is maybe like up and coming, something in the future that will become a norm or something that's going to shortcut the process when you're working with people around the world for your business? Uh, there, there is, and I'm, there's some of me that's going to be biased in this. So I'm going to call that out completely to try to mask any tendency towards just plugging my own, our company's own products, because it's not just about our products. It's more about a way in which remote teams are communicating. And I used this word earlier, asynchronous communication, but this is really like the cornerstone of how most remote and hybrid teams, the, the location agnostic teams function is they're moving from a synchronous situation where we're all in the same place. We're talking face to face, we're chat, even instant chat, you know, where you expect an instant response. That's synchronous communication, the, the antithesis of asynchronous communication. So tools that lend themselves to asynchronous communication are the next step. And that's, and, and technically any tool other than being face to face could probably be asynchronous. You and I could chat back and forth in Zoom if we really needed to, or in Google Hangouts or Google Meet or something. There's a, the old AIM. You know, you can you can use that asynchronously and not expect an immediate response, but there's tools that lend themselves to that better. And this is emerging not just in like the written form, but also in like in ways like video, for instance, products like uh, Loom, Cloud App. There's a new tool out that I love called Yak that does voice asynchronous communication. So you're basically sending voice notes back and forth, but it also transcribes them. So you can actually have a searchable history. So imagine if you have a team of a hundred spread across the world and you're sending voice notes back and forth, that could get a little messy, but with transcription and really good transcription, you can actually search for any comment that's been made. So these are all evolving and the thing that ties them together is that they're asynchronous in nature. Our, our company, built a product called Twist, which is a team communication tool for remote teams in particular. We actually built it for ourselves because we were annoyed by Slack. We were running on Slack and we were like, ah, oh, this is great for like chit chat and writing back and forth and instant messaging. But for a team that's, you know, when I wake up in the morning and I've got 700 Slack messages because my team in Asia has been working all night, 
that's not a great way to start my day. And, and we're also a productivity company. So we're real big pro- productivity nerds. And like, this isn't, we're losing like two hours a day each, multiply this out. This is bad business. So we built Twist with asynchronous communication in mind and and remote teams in mind. And that's that's what we've been running off of. And now we sell it to other remote teams. And, and so again, the core of it is like, it's just all, everything centered around asynchronous communication. And, and I'm seeing that evolve with other tools as well. Well, for me, for my company, it was emails. We had email going back and forth, like hundreds of emails of threads. And then we moved over to Telegram. And now I have different Telegram threads for everything. And that's working at the moment. But I'm kind of wondering, you know, as my company grows and moves to the next stage and we start, you know, we're hiring more and more people, it's like, is are we going to outgrow the these types of things that we already have? Is there technology out there that's going to give us an advantage? I mean, it's really interesting to see. And as you said earlier in the program, I mean, COVID has really sped up a lot of these types of things because maybe it was just a small subsection of the entrepreneurial space who was using this. Now it's like everybody needs to know how to use these things. So it's like jumped us ahead maybe six, seven, 10 years. So it is really interesting to see about the different ways that people handle problems. It's totally fascinating. And you hit the nail on the head. I think that most estimates show about 10, it expedited things by about 10 years, which is, which is mind blowing. I mean, 10, 10 years, like, like when did the iPhone come out? You know, like imagine the world without the iPhone, there's, there's just technology just moved at such a rapid pace in a time where things are already moving at a rapid pace. It's, it really is pretty incredible whether you're like into that world or not. It's just when you kind of step back and look at it, you go, wow, things really moved quickly here and entire industries are completely flipped upside down and new products and services emerging. And it's, it's very fascinating. In this next clip, Juliana Robbie explains how she deals with the challenges and distractions in remote work environments and how you can overcome these yourself. But yeah, challenges, I would say distractions, they do happen in the office, but they do happen at home. Oh, so, so you have the fridge kind of screaming for you and say, hi, I have food here. Do you want to <laughs> grab something to eat? You have the couch that is very tempting sometimes. I like, want oh, just take a nap or just relax a little bit. So it's different distractions than, that we have in the office, but they do exist. So it's important to, to address that and to create some boundaries that will help you to work properly. So if the person works alone at home, it might be easier, but if you uh, have other people in the house, it's important to, you know, have a door that you can close and that shows that I am working, I cannot be disturbed because that's a common mistake. Or if you're working from home, so you do the laundry, you go to the supermarket, you receive the postman. It's like, no, I'm I'm working from home, but I'm not here doing nothing, just <laughs> waiting for things and take care of the house. So it's important to put those boundaries, I would say. The schedule, it depends on the kind of job you do. So sometimes you you must follow a certain schedule, like even working from home, you still need to be connected from nine to five, for example, uh, which kind of helps somehow because you know that from nine to five, you need to be working. But if you have a flexible working hours, then you need to be more strict with yourself because nobody's going to tell, okay, now it's your working hours and can be very tempting, like, yeah, whatever, I'm just going to start working at 10 and then I take a longer lunch break and all of that. And you kind of get lost in the process. So defining working hours is extremely important and be focused and concentrate and like pretty much what you would do in the office or what you should do in the office, like not be checking your phone all the time, not be talking to other people, not, you know, uh, stop to go out and do something else. So 
define when you need to be working and focus on that because otherwise the, the results won't be there. And working from home or working from anywhere has a lot to do with results and trust, right? Your boss won't be there like telling you all the time and checking if you're seated on the chair, but still you need to deliver results because otherwise the whole system will not work. Okay, I agree with you. And I have one other question to kind of follow up on this, but it's at the exact opposite. Do you find that any of your clients or maybe yourself does the exact opposite? And instead of having like a nine to five hours, you're on like a 24 hours that because your home is now your workplace, that you are constantly checking emails at night. Like, I mean, I work from my phone while I'm getting into bed and then I wake up in the morning and I'm using the bathroom and I'm checking my emails and going through things. And it's like, I'm always on now. I mean, my subscribers know and my private clients know they send me an email. It could be one o'clock in the morning and I might get back to them within like five minutes. I think that this is a completely different type of challenge that certainly when I started doing this many years ago, I didn't expect. My first instinct was, you know, how do I motivate myself to work? Now it's like, how do I motivate myself to relax and like not work, keep my phone separate and my tablet and my laptop and my computer and my et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, have you seen this as, as well or is it just me? No, I face that all the time also. So that's why I'm telling that and I tell myself that I should fix working hours and try as much as possible to stick to it because it's very easy. And I think some years ago, when I started, it was not that accessible to check your email in your phone and all of that. You had to sit on the chair, on the laptop and all of that to, to check an email. But now it's like, you know, it's in my hand all the time. I just see a notification. Actually, I don't have notifications for email, but then I still check them from time to time. So, yes, I do get lost sometime into this. Well, it's Saturday, but the person wrote something. I might, you know, reply. At least you say, okay, I'm going to reply on Monday, but then I'm already replying. I'm thinking about the reply I'm going to give to the person on Monday. So, yeah, that's a problem that we have now. And I think a lot of people who work from home during the pandemic face exactly this thing, how to separate work and the other areas of my life. And it can happen because you are not productive enough. So you need to stretch your working hours because you're seated on the computer and you're doing 200 things at the same time. So you never get what you need to do done. Or sometimes it happens because you enjoy what you do. So it's like, well, it's work, but you know, I really like to do what I do. So I feel like replying this client because I mean, why not? It's just five minutes, but we know it's not only just five minutes because then you're thinking about it. Then you need to take a note about something else. So yeah, this is, this is a reality working all the time and do never disconnect from work. So I don't have a magic formula for that. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> this is something ongoing and I'm, I'm facing that. Some moments I I'm better at that than other moments. So for example, what I'm doing now is that I'm trying not to work on Fridays. So Fridays, I'm not all Fridays, but I would say 90% of Fridays, I'm taking them off. And what has working for me is like, instead of just saying, I won't work on Friday, is to create an agenda for Friday. Just like I would create a working agenda, like my clients call and the things I need to do, I create activities. So I'm going to go in the morning to the market. I'm going to meet this friend for lunch. I'm going to read this book. You know, I kind of block my agenda with fun and entertaining activities. And sometimes things I have to do, like I need to do the laundry and that's what I'm going to do. But I try to put more fun stuff because then it kind of forces me 
it sounds weird, but like it forced me not to work because I have something else that, you know, I'm looking forward to do, but it's important to replace the space that work would occupy with something that intentionally I'm choosing and I'm motivated. Because if I just put boring stuff, I won't do that because it's like working is better than just cleaning the house. So I try to or clean the Netflix house. Or watching Netflix or something. Yes. Yeah. Next, I want to play a clip from episode 157 with Chase Warrington. Chase and I discuss some of the challenges that may lay ahead for the fully adopted of remote work mentality by companies across the world. These are things that we're really going to have to pay attention to as a whole. So listen in to what Chase has to say here. Do you think that there's any roadblocks? Do you think there's any things that are going to hold people back or hold society as a whole back from embracing remote work? I do. Well, what I think is going to happen is I think we're going to go through some cycles and evolutions here with, with remote work. So one of the big ones, what the, the narrative around remote has sort of changed in, in the last, obviously in the last two years, but even since everybody went from like hitting the panic button to, okay, we got to figure out remote work and how to make this work. Right. So organizations across the world and individuals are going, I don't really have a choice. I just got to figure out how to make it. Everybody get, get a zoom account and a Slack account and let's figure it out. And then what that narrative has changed to now is, Oh wait, this works. We can actually do this on a massive scale. People can have their flexibility and freedom and more time with family and less commute time. There's tons of benefits here. We figured out how to kind of do it as an organization, but now we need to transition that to how do we optimize this for the long term? And so there's a big gap there from, from where we are now with the, we're still kind of hitting the panic button, figuring out how to do it to optimizing and re, that's rewriting best practices. That's thinking about what tools we use. That's Thinking, rethinking the way office space is used. There's so much that goes into it. So I think it'd be ridiculous to think that there's not going to be some heavy friction there. But I also think that the light at the end of the tunnel is bright enough to draw people down. And, and so I think that's, I think we're going to roll right over those speed bumps for the most part. And I, I don't think there's a reverse here. Well, and I asked this question a little bit because I was reading in the news recently that Google just acquired some of the most prime real estate in New York. I think they paid something like over a billion dollars for it. All of these big companies are scooping up real estate in prime locations. And I'm like, hmm, these these tech companies are buying real estate in depreciated locations and the rest of the world has gone remote. Like, what do they know that we don't know, you know? <laughs> My business works very well remote. I mean, I have, I'm not Google, of course. I mean, I have a very small company. There's like a half a dozen of us that work for me, but it works for us now. I'm wondering if it will continue to work, if there's things that, you know, we should be aware of or things that we should put into our heads now to be prepared. I do spend a lot of time usually going to conferences, going to summits, going to masterminds, and there's like an energy of being face-to-face with someone. Now, you and I, were on Zoom right now, and the technology works perfect, and it streams, and it's, you know, you can see me, and I can see you, and it's a real conversation. And we'll sit down, and we'll talk for maybe two hours. But that's a very different example than your office is just down the hallway, and I just come and knock on you because I have something that popped into my head that day. I mean, we set this call up probably almost a month ago, you know, to sit down today. So it's it's these weird dynamics and trying to understand, you know, the best way to go forwards, what we can change, what we can control, what we can't control, how do we moderate that, all of those types of things. So that's not really a question, but maybe a comment on it. 
It's a, it's a wonderful comment because I mean, I don't claim to be Google either. You know, I, I they, they probably do know, <laughs> they definitely know a lot more than I know on a lot of levels. I do tend to think that there is no reverse to the remote trend. There just may be a tapering off in some ways, but I think, I think more knowledge workers equals probably more of both, right? You're going to have some hybrid model set up where some people are in office, some people are remote. You're going to have some fully remote companies like the one that I work for, which is just remote first, everybody just location agnostic, right? Like you work from wherever you want to work. And, and then you'll have some, you know, some that stick with the fully office remote model and, and, and go that route. But I do tend to think like you, you just have a growing population of people that are going to demand remote work, not see it as a perk anymore. When I, I don't like, I never mind sharing that, you know, when I, I was seeking location independence and remote work and I made so many sacrifices, like I kind of sacrificed the career for remote in a way and sacrificed the big paycheck for location independence. And that was because it was a perk at the time, not like, not, not something you expected, like you would expect a 401k from a U.S. based business. Right. So that that was not the case with it. And now it is becoming the case. And companies that don't offer 401ks and companies that don't offer remote don't seem so attractive to a lot of people. So it becomes like more of a necessity. Um, but I, I am I'm interested to see what that office space for for organizations like that, like how they use it. You know, does it does it become like uh the the beautiful like hybrid setting where people can come and work from there? I have a friend that works at Google and he he works remote, but he loves to go to the office like one, two days a month. And, and it's perfect for him. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. Up next, we have Juliana Rabi from episode 142. Juliana and I discuss the challenges of having to say goodbye to a group of friends very often when living abroad or living as a digital nomad. So this is something that happens, but how do you overcome this? How do you deal with these types of things? Listen in. I'm thinking back at my life of... 21 years of travel and how many different groups of friends I've had, probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of different groups of friends that I've been interested in a topic or something like that. And when I moved on or they moved on, I mean, it's not that we stop liking each other or I think that they're a bad person, but if our paths are not going down the same road, as you said, well, then you don't have a lot in common anymore. I mean, I have a very few friends that I've known my entire life and maybe one adult friend that I've been in contact nonstop with for for 20 some odd years. But most people come and go in your life. And I think as a traveler and a digital nomad or as an expat, you have to kind of be comfortable with moving on and saying goodbye. I mean, it's not that hometown mentality where, I mean, you don't go more than a couple of kilometers from where you were born and the people that you went to school with are the same people that will be at your wedding, will be at your, the baptism of your grandchild. And I mean, like, it's just, it's so, so different being an expat and digital nomad. I mean, that's my perspective. Uh, yes, as a digital nomad, we learn to say goodbyes or see you later. I prefer to say see you later because you keep bumping into the same people because they have the same lifestyle. So you can meet them. You can even plan. That's what I have been doing. So, for example, are you going to be in Lisbon around July? So we can kind of coordinate that and meet again people intentionally that you want to meet. But yes, there is a lot of see you later and goodbye in this life <laughs> that we chose. It's part of it. 
Up next, I have Chase Warrington. Chase is here to discuss his own struggles to adapting to much of the digital nomad lifestyle and the adjustments he had to make to thrive while traveling the world. I'm a creature of habit which doesn't uh, and routine, which doesn't jive well with the digital nomad lifestyle. And uh, I, I thought I was one for a little while, but I kind of suffered through that. I mean, I just, you know, I thought, oh, I love to travel. I have location independence. Cool. Marry those two together and hit the road. But I didn't have my my routine. My, you know, I, I didn't have the setting for me to thrive in, in all aspects of life. And I think that's really taken for granted sometimes when you see really cool Instagram pictures of laptops on beaches with cocktails next to them. You know, it's, it's, that works for some people, but for a lot of us that, that sort of have a regular career or something that you're trying to do most days, it's really hard to have some consistency. And so I, I just returned from six weeks of travel. My, we have a, a camper van and we went on a six week trip through the Alps and circled back down through Spain. And it was fantastic, but I was working for 70% of the time. And I just, I was reminded I'm a horrible digital nomad. I, <laughs> I, want, I want my office back. I want my studio back. So there you have it. Episode 168 in the bag, digital nomad mindset tips and challenges. I hope you guys got a ton of information, a ton of knowledge from this episode. I encourage you to go back and listen to each one of these full episodes. We covered so much things and these are just the highlights from those amazing episodes. So there's so much stuff in there. Guys, go back through the previous episodes. Most of my content here is completely evergreen. It should be around for years and years and be completely applicable. So don't worry if you're hearing this in the future. You can go back. You can listen to all these strategies, these challenges, these things that people have had to overcome. It will still be applicable the day you listen to it. I absolutely promise. So I hope you guys have an amazing Christmas. I hope you have an amazing New Year's. We will see you guys soon. Make sure you join Expat Money Forum at expatmoneyforum.com. Join in the conversation. Make sure that you subscribe to the newsletter at expatmoneyshow.com forward slash protection. I have a special PDF report for you. And that's it. Have an amazing holiday. We will see you next week on the podcast. Have a great week. Bye. Okay, that's it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I certainly had a ton of fun recording it, and I hope it was really inspirational. If you guys want to join the conversation and find out more about what we do at Expat Money, then check out our private Facebook group. We have over three and a half thousand members of the group. We only started probably six or seven months ago, this group, and I really wasn't sure how I would like it, but actually it is so much fun. There's so many cool people there. It is the easiest and fastest place to get a response from me. It is the only social media platform that I actually spend any time on, not Facebook in general. I actually hate Facebook in general, but Facebook groups are excellent and specifically our Facebook group is excellent. And it's because of all the amazing people there. So you guys can check it out at expatmoneyforum.com. It's going to redirect you directly to our private group, expatmoneyforum.com, and join the conversation. Come say hello, say where you're from, let us know where you want to go. There are expats around the world. They're sharing boots on the ground research about what is actually happening, happening with restrictions and lockdowns and mandates and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it is the most up-to-date place to get all of your information. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyforum.com. Okay, we will see you next Wednesday on the podcast. Have a great day. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. 
For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels.